1: Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That is Joshua 1-9. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you caught our June episodes featuring our foster and adoptive dads. If not, I invite you to check them out. It's always great to hear from the dads. And as we journey together through the summer months, uh, looking ahead to a new school year, several of our summer episodes will feature discussions about educating our foster and adopted children, especially those with trauma and FASD. So whether you utilize public school, private school, or you homeschool, whether you're loving what you're doing and it's working or you're pulling your hair out, uh, you won't want to miss these informative episodes with fellow parents navigating the same rocky road. But first, uh, if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, I would sincerely appreciate it If you do, um, take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. It's super simple and makes a huge impact. When listeners subscribe, it signals to the algorithm that this show is relevant and important. And we want all adoptive, foster, and kinship caregivers to find this show because we believe it is a vital resource for the parenting journey. So I hope you'll take a moment to subscribe and also Uh, If you find this show to be an encouragement, let us know. If you have a comment or a question, please reach out to me by email. Uh, You can find me at sandraflackjfo at gmail.com or through our ministry website, justicefororphansny.org. And I wanted to read a little bit from an email that I recently got from uh, a foster mom uh, Jordy. Uh, she just recently found out that the little guy that they've been fostering and are in the process of adopting um, is on the FASD spectrum. And she uh, sent an email um, just talking about or mentioning that she wanted uh, to thank us, thank me for preparing uh, her for the journey. She says, You don't know how much your podcast has helped me. I feel like we have hope in providing our little guy an amazing life. It still feels scary at times ever since the diagnosis. Um, I've been doubting myself as a parent. He'll be our first special needs child. It is a lot to wrap my head around. Um, And he isn't ours officially yet, but it is moving in that direction. And then uh, she reached out for some some more resources, having some questions. And uh, she's local to me. So we actually scheduled uh, a call, which is often the case when I hear from Uh, from listeners who have questions and want more information, it's a lot of times just a whole lot easier to schedule a Zoom call or a phone call rather than type back all that I would like to say in response. So reach out if you have a question, if you have a comment, or you just want to connect, um, and we can set something up. Again, the best way to get me is at my email, sandraflackjfo at gmail.com. Stay tuned after uh, the show. I have an amazing guest with us today, but at the end, I've got some more exciting announcements to share with you. But first, let's get to our guest. Lindsay Munns is a parent advocate for FASD. She attended the University of Utah, where she got her degree in community policy and consumer studies. She also studied education and is currently pursuing her master's in social work at the University of Central Florida. She is a mom of four, including two on the FASD spectrum, which is how Lindsay became a volunteer at the Florida Center. Along with her husband, she is a passionate advocate, spreading awareness about the dangers of alcohol during pregnancy. She is also a TBRI um, trainer and a practitioner, and she is in the process, like myself, of becoming a facilitator of the FACETs Neurobehavioral Model. So please welcome
0: Lindsay Munns. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me. Um, hopefully my voice will cooperate today. The allergies are thick down here.
1: <laughs> yeah, you are in Central Florida, and I, I hear it in your voice, and hopefully feel free to take a drink of water whenever you need to. You. I'm just thrilled that we finally got this uh, interview Uh on the books on this on the calendar so I want to make sure that we get it in because you have such a valuable uh, voice um, on this journey I want to make sure that we get that conversation in. Um, I'm thrilled to have you on the show I love all of your social media, we get to peek in and see what life is like with your kiddos and your doggies. Um, And like I mentioned, we're both fast in the, in the facets training to become facilitators. So I can't wait for my listeners to get to know you. So let's start at the beginning of your story. I know you and your husband have four children share with us how they all came into your family.
0: Yeah. um, We were told that I should not, you know, have pregnancies for my own health issues. And so we had always planned on building our family with adoption So, you know, probably six months into marriage, as we got married a little bit older, we started the process. Um, And for those of you that are in it or have been through it, um, it's kind of daunting to hear all of the things that might be going on or not going on um, with your potential child. And that was very alarming to us. So we were like, oh, maybe we should just try to have biological children, even though the doctors were saying that's not a good idea. Um, So we are kind of rebellious (laughs) and we, we, we tried to, we just decided to try um, and we were instantly pregnant, um, but also realized that my health doesn't handle that very well. So we continued with the adoption process because we didn't know if my pregnancy would make it or if it would be viable. And we just figured we would take whatever God, God had in store for us. Um, and then about a week after we found out I was pregnant, um, we got matched with twin boys. And so it wasn't one of those things like, Oh, you're adopting and then you're relaxed and you got pregnant. Like that was never our issue. And I'm very grateful that that is our story because I feel like we can tell our boys, you know, we wanted you, we always wanted you. It wasn't, you guys were not a backup plan. Um, so that's something I feel like is a little bit of a tender mercy in our story that it wasn't like adoption was not our backup plan. It was a plan that we wanted to do and go forward with. Um, so they all came pretty much at the same time. the twins came first because, um our birth mom was further along in her pregnancy than me and then my other son came um 6 weeks early so i was you know on bed rest you know the, the first 7 weeks of the twins lives which also you know as we know now which i did not know back then you know kind of impacted their trauma a little further so you know knowledge is power if i would have known um But we had three babies at once, and it was hard, but it was much easier than it is now that they're older. Um, And we were, you know, we didn't have any like knowledge that there had been alcohol exposure. Um, We started seeing symptoms around eight months um, in one of our boys, and not at all in the other for several years. But um, then we just decided, you know, we're not sleeping let's go for one more before, before we like get out of this nap routine. And, um, both my husband and I just love to go, go, go. And So I didn't want to be stuck home to a nap schedule. So our daughter was born 17 months after our boys. So we basically had four children under the age of two. (laughs) Um, when we, you know, got thrown into parenting. So we, we always say it it came at us fast and furious and it's still going about that way. (laughs) Um, but we're very blessed. We're very lucky. It's, it's a lot of fun, but as you can imagine, knowing FASD, knowing trauma, um, we have a lot of, a lot of, you know, issues that we deal with on a day in and day out basis that can be very challenging.
1: Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, even just four children under the age of two is like, you know, unless you're having quadruplets or something, <laughs> it's mind blowing <laughs> um, and, and and crazy. And I know with FASD stuff, it doesn't get easier as they get older and you kind of hinted at that. So we'll get to that part of our conversation. The twins um, are diagnosed with alcohol related Neurodiversity Is that it's A-R-N-D?
0: Yeah, alcohol-related neurobehavioral disorder due uh-huh. to alcohol exposure.
1: Yeah. So what symptoms were you seeing that led to that diagnosis?
0: Yeah, I mean, in one of the, you know, for twins, and you'll often hear this, and I could tell you it's the absolute truth. Um, they are very different in their symptoms, even though they were in the same womb, and um, So our first son started showing behavioral symptoms around the age of eight months where he was just doing that sensory sinking, headbanging type thing anytime he wanted something or didn't get his way or was upset. And I was just told by all the pediatricians that it was normal, that I was over worrying. I was a new mom. I was tired. I'm just, you know, I was all of those things, but I just knew in my gut you know, I had two other infants that were not acting that way. And so I just knew that there was something, but it, you know, it took two and a half years to finally get someone to listen to me. And that wasn't until I videotaped one of his meltdowns and took it into my pediatrician after I had repeatedly told her like, no, this is not normal. This he's not growing out of it. It's getting worse. And when I showed her that video, she was like, oh yeah, this is not, this is not normal. You're right. And so, you know, kind of one of those frustrating, but validating moments of like, you know, your child best, but then it was a nine month wait to get into a developmental pediatrician or anyone. And so by that point we were at our breaking point. Um, so that that's hard with these long wait lists for these specialists and, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't have access to that. Um, and then our other, you know, his twin had symptoms, but we didn't realize they were symptoms because we didn't know what we were dealing with. He had, um, you know, a surgery that when he was eight months old, that when I read about it, it was, you know, common in twins, but also could be caused by alcohol exposure. And so, of course, I wanted to believe the rosy colored version of he's a twin. It was not alcohol exposure um, because we didn't have admission at that point um, of alcohol exposure of the alcohol exposure. We didn't have the knowledge that that had indeed taken place. We were told that there was no alcohol, no drugs during the pregnancy. And that's because the birth mom did stop drinking when she found out she was pregnant but that was eight weeks in. And before that time, um, there was, there was drinking. So, and he was always sensitive to the light and he was always never okay in the car. It was always bloody murder screaming in the car. We were not one of those families who could just put our kids in the car and drive them around to get them to calm down. Even to this day, the car is just so overstimulating. So he didn't, his twin didn't get his diagnosis until he was four and a half. And that's when I, I, the way I caught it was, um, you know, we had enrolled them in soccer and I was videotaping it and I have three sons the same age playing on the soccer team and they all have very different athletic abilities. And, you know, two of them are running down the field uh, making a goal and, and my son, my other son is down at the other end of the field covering his ears on the ground, screaming and and tantruming. And I'm like, what is going on? you know, this is before we knew he had, you know, an FASD. But when I watched the video replay of the goal that my other son had made, I realized that when that whistle blew, I saw in the video, my son covered his ears and dropped to the ground. Mm -hmm. And so that was my first indication of like, oh my goodness, he has, Sensory, you know, auditory issues, and so that's kind of when we sought to get help for him, and he also got the same diagnosis, but his symptoms are very different.
1: Wow, that is amazing. So, um, how did you get a diagnosis finally? Because I know that's a big question for a lot of families. Sometimes you just you don't even get the diagnosis. Um, So, so how were you able to get one?
0: Yeah. So, I mean. Max, um, started seeing a neurologist when he was, you know, around the age of two, um, we basically, you know, called in favors to bypass a wait list. We were at our breaking point where we like, we can't wait nine months. We're not going to make it nine months. Um, so luckily we were able to get into one of the best neurologists in the area And she sent us through the gamut of ruling out autism. You know, we went to the geneticist to rule out any other things. Um, And that's when she came to me and said, you know, I really think that you should consider alcohol exposure. Have you considered that? And as soon as she said it, I knew in my gut, in my heart, all the pieces kind of like came back together that like, yes, that's, this is what this is even though we had been told there was no drugs or alcohol, it made sense because I remember just stories from like our birth parents of, you know, their process and finding out they were pregnant with twins eight weeks in and it all just kind of made sense. And I was able to get that confirmed alcohol exposure first from the birth dad, um, just because we have an open adoption and we had already been, you know, going down family history, like, you know, is there autism? is there anything. And it was, you know, no, no, no. And so we had already been having those conversations. And so, you know, there is so much shame and stigma around women and mothers and alcohol. So I wanted to be delicate in approaching that, but he did confirm that, you know, there was alcohol being used during that time before she found out, and then I was later able to, you know, once we got the diagnosis, have that conversation with her and, and, um, you know, she clearly felt terrible and, you know, we made it clear that we don't blame her. She didn't know she was pregnant. She stopped as soon as she found out. Um, so having that confirmed alcohol exposure and that open adoption was a real blessing for us because I know not everybody gets that. Um, and then, you know, we had heard about the Florida center from our neurologist, but it was down in Sarasota and it was a, it was over a year wait. Um, but then when we saw Waylon start having some issues, then we booked with the Florida center. It was a nine month wait and we got them both evaluated and diagnosed there at age four and a half. Um, so Maxwell technically received his diagnosis from the neurologist. Um, but then they both, you know, got it confirmed in more detail from the Florida center at age four and a half.
1: Wow. That is incredible. And, and like, like you mentioned, you know, most pregnancies that are unplanned, women don't know, you know, they can be eight weeks or even a little bit more long before they realize that they're pregnant. And if they're just drinking socially, um, that can, it can have that impact that, that you're seeing. And I know one of one of our, our kids who is, she's an adult now, but, um, she was a kinship adoption for us. And, um, I knew her mom and knew she, you know, she wasn't an alcoholic, none of that was going on, but she was also told she couldn't get pregnant. So when she found out she was pregnant, you know, took a while before she realized that that's what that was. And, um, you know, was probably, she's deceased now. She passed away, unfortunately from cancer, but, um, you know, by the time she was probably drinking socially at least for the first eight to 10 weeks. Um, you know, even if it was just every weekend, you know, and there's no known, as you know, safe time or type or amount of alcohol. So, um, so often even parents not in the foster care or adoption, um, space are dealing with this and don't really know what it is. So, um, I, I'm grateful that you're able to kind of shine some light on that as well. Um, so getting the diagnosis is one thing, but getting resources and support, another thing. I know when my <laughs> two boys were diagnosed with FAS, um, we were kind of handed the diagnosis and told, you know, hey, uh, focus on life skills and have a nice day. There were no supports, no, no other resources, no other information Um, to be given to us. So Lindsay, how did you get FASD informed and equipped?
0: Yeah. So our, I mean, my first, as bad as, you know, our rap as social media might get sometimes to me, it's been a lifeline Mm -hmm. of connections and resources. Um, I went onto Facebook and I typed in FASD groups, you know, looking for groups and I found Jeff Noble and the caregiver success. And I took his caregiver kickstart. Um, So that was, I feel like Jeff Noble does a really good job, um, especially for that intro period of really like breaking it down in layman's terms versus the medical terminology that were sometimes often handed um, at the doctors or um, so that helped a lot, um, and then you know, just any book. And then I found Eileen Divine. I I read your book. I you know, just I just the social media, especially when COVID hit, um, really connected the FASD community and resources. I feel like um, so it's just been a nonstop journey. And then we just started just asking and talking to anybody and everybody who would listen. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, most of my supports and resources come from online support groups. Um, You know, locally, we're working on getting informed providers, but they'll admit, like, we didn't learn about this. I don't know much about this. And yet they are the ones, you know, prescribing medications or therapies when they don't know about this disability. So, in this instance, we do know more about our children and the disability than our providers that are treating them. So that, that causes a lot of frustration, as I'm sure, you know, um, with your own experiences. So it's literally a fight all the time, but I would say our greatest um, supports have come from finding those online communities that have really helped us.
1: Yeah, definitely a fight. I had um, last year, I had Dr. Christy Petrenko from the Rochester um, University of Rochester, the FASD clinic out there, um, and she said that in medical school she read maybe a paragraph about yep. FAS, uh, and so I always keep that in mind when I'm when I'm connecting with doctors or you know medical professionals or um, school administrators that you know, we, as parents really do know more because we're hyper-focused on this and gaining all this information and knowledge and we have lived experience. Um, so we're really needing to, to, to share what we know with everybody. And it can be frustrating because you just want to turn to somebody who can help and we have to do the help, right? We have to be on us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been really, really blessed at the connections and opportunities we've had. Um, in fact, just I think it's next week, we have a meeting with the curriculum development um, of UCF, and they are having all of their pediatricians take a training on FASD. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Proof Alliance is doing the training so for them. So I mean, you know, slowly but surely we're going to get there and we're going to keep fighting to have more informed providers, but it is a fight.
1: Yeah, well, I'll be following what you're doing in Florida, because I know in New York State, where I am, um, aside from out in Rochester, in the way western part of the state, um, and, and I know Doug, Doug Waite, I believe, is um, a, a developmental pediatrician down in the city, New York City. I'm in the capital region of upstate New York, and there is nothing between Rochester and New York City, nothing. Um, so we just became an FASD United affiliate, my nonprofit did, okay. and we just want to change that, you know, and, and yeah. provide resources and everything we possibly can here in New York as well. So we're all, we're, we're all fighting the good fight at home and in our communities for sure. Um, Lindsay, how old are all of your kids now and what are some of the symptoms and accommodations that are on the forefront of your days? Like what's going on right now?
0: Yeah. So the, all three of my boys are seven about to turn eight and my daughter is five about to turn six. Um, and I would say, you know, I miss the baby days <laughs> because uh, those symptoms and behaviors were, they were smaller and, you know, society sees, you know, someone melting down at three, four five years old, they can kind of wrap their heads around it, but, when you have, you know, almost eight-year-olds that, you know, my twins are, their their birth parents were both very tall. And so they, they look older than they are just by height alone. And so, you know, they do, they're still having um, a lot of meltdowns and sensory issues, impulse control, executive functioning. I mean, We have the violence and aggression, unfortunately, which I know not everybody has to deal with. Um, But we also just went through a bunch of transitions and we know that that's really hard for our kiddos. And so I do think some of these escalated symptoms that we're seeing are kind of a fallout from starting clear back in the pandemic, you know, where everything changed for everybody. I mean, it's been hard on on me and I don't have an FASD. So imagine how hard it's been on my kiddos. Um, They lost services. They lost school. They lost friends. We moved, they lost their community, you know? So um, accommodations wise right now, I mean, we did build our house to try to accommodate some of the needs. Um, One of them is locking the pantry (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. because the, the eating was out of control Um, we put in like a sensory wall with monkey bars and rock climbing wall. Um, we moved to more land because they seem to do better outside. Um, we got some chickens and ducks and bunnies that, you know, they really seem to do good with the animal therapy type stuff. So we're just trying to create that here, um, because it is very hard for us to get in the car and go somewhere every time we do, there is a meltdown. <laughs> so, um, the transitions, you know, we always put in those warnings, like five minutes or 10 minutes or set a timer. Um, we have, you know, we we've been in OT since they were two. Um, we've been in and out of various therapies. We've done all kinds of, you know, we've kind of left no stone unturned, we're just starting DBT therapy because we've heard other families have had success with that, especially when it comes to rage and aggression.
1: Can, um, you, can you describe for our listeners what DBT therapy is?
0: So it's dialectic behavioral therapy, and we just started. And so I'm learning about it, but um, I've talked to other um, parents with children on the spectrum who said that you know after 8 months to a year by working with this method they were able to get the aggression and violence under control we've had one session our second session is coming up on friday so at first it's working with the parents for the first 6 months and then it will translate over to working with the children and then they'll bring us back together so it's a long process and it might work and it might not, as we know, um, you know, some, some people have great success with certain types of therapies. Um, you know, we, we tried the safe and sound protocol because we had been hearing so many people have success with that. It did not help our boys at all. So, you know, we're just trying what we can. Um, but it's hard because these services are not covered by insurance or anything. And so, they're costly and that's a problem for families. And that's something that I think that, you know, we also want to try to fight and change the system because this, these, these children need services just as much as every other disability and they're not getting it. So um, we have, we do have a lot of help, which we're lucky to have Um, because of my health issues. I, I don't have a choice Um, with the lack of sleep um, that between the two of my, my children on the spectrum, they're like popcorn or whack-a-mole kind of when they wake up, it's like one will go to bed. And then the other one, it's like, he knows he's asleep and the other one will wake up. And so I don't get a lot of sleep, which further compacts my health issues. So, you know, we have, we have a nanny. Um, we are, we have some BCBAs right now for the summer, to try to work with us on some of this, um, you know, they're FASD informed. So that's helpful. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, we're trying everything different and seeing what works and what doesn't. And some of it does and some of it doesn't. And like, you know, some days it works great and other days it doesn't work at all.
1: Yeah. Like you said, leaving no stone unturned and, um, and every kiddo is different and, yeah every season and stage, you know, it might, something might work. And then all of a sudden, you know, they turn a corner and, and they're the next year older and it no longer. Yeah. Works, there's so. a,
0: there's a new stage coming in, you know, and I actually was just reading that there's like a, a pre puberty stage of development in the brain between the ages of seven and 10. And I was reading about it and it's like, I'd never heard about it. But another um, mom with children on the spectrum posted it. And it, I feel like we're in that stage right now of that pre-puberty brain development that can cause some issues. And I don't think it's been talked a lot about in mm-hmm. the world of FASD. At least I have not come across it until I found the article yesterday. Yeah,
1: I don't think I've heard about it either. So I'd be interested in the article myself. I mean, my mine are older now. My 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 two youngest boys are sixteen and eighteen. So um, you know, pre-puberty was one thing, I'm sure, but now <laughs> teenagers, um, yeah. you know, whole new ball game. So yeah, always something to look forward to.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm not gonna lie. I'm sort of terrified of of when testosterone actually starts kicking in. Um, This phase is called the, I'm probably not going to pronounce it right. The adren, adrenarchy systematic period um, is what this is called. And I'll send you the article um, because it was very fascinating. And I feel like it did kind of explain what we're going through, um, which is good to know, like the root reason of why you're going through something. Um, to try to see if you can accommodate or prevent triggers or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Always going back to the brain, right? Always looking at it from the lens of the brain. Um, So Lindsay, you've mentioned you've got some health issues yourself. So self-care is extremely important for all of us on this journey. What do you do for self-care? I know you mentioned you have some help at home, um, but what do you do and, and how do you address that grief um, that comes with this journey because things are vastly different than you know we imagined parenthood would be like. So, how do you handle um, self care and grief?
0: Yeah, um, this is one that I have. I w- used to be. It was a lot easier when they were younger to to do that self care because if they were napping, I could nap. If if I had help, like the help could handle them, and I could you know get go get some respite while my help was here right now we've been in a phase where it's all hands on deck. Um, and so I have that self-care has kind of dropped off and I've had to be really intentional and it's far and few in between what it used to be. But, um, for me right now, sleep is what I need more than anything. So sometimes I'll, you know, say, you know, I I don't want to call it a lie, but I'll say, Hey, mom's leaving. And I I am leaving, (laughs) to a dark corner of the house where it's my noise machine where they're not going to find me and I'll try to take a nap. Um, but that's only if I can't hear like the escalations and things going on. So it's still very difficult. Um, I do see um, a life coach to help me and that really helps me. I feel like everyone would benefit from some form of therapy, even without FASD in my world. I, I still think that, you know i'm a big proponent i mean i'm a tbri practitioner so um i think that everybody could benefit from some sort of therapy or counseling or coaching and that really helps me um and then you know the grief part and also the self care part for me comes back to god um i turn to god in in my grief and it's daily sometimes it's hourly um, and, you know, I feel like, you know, you know, come unto me all that ye labor and are heavy, like, and you can rest at my feet. I know I'm not, I'm butchering that scripture, but you know, the scripture in Matthew, um, I don't know how I would personally get through this without knowing that there's a bigger purpose and plan. And I have seen, Miracles. I have seen tender mercies. I have seen these small moments to rejoice in. And it's like, sure, my kid might not be getting straight A's, but he passed the spelling test and we celebrate those smaller wins. So it's just kind of readjusting our framework as parents of like what we thought this would be like. And, you know, it is hard when you've got children that never get invited to a birthday party or a play date. And then you have two other children that do. And that's a constant, um, constant thing going on and at this age in our house right now. And it is hard to watch your kids suffer and grieve themselves and teach them, you know, that, you know, life is not going to be the same for everyone and everybody's got different struggles and, you know, there's, I think there's always going to be grief with this. I don't think it's, Oh, you know, you grieve at one time and then it it goes away because like you said, there's different stages. And like, I've got a son right now who just cannot wait to drive, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he'll be able to be, be able to drive or not, he might be able to, and he might not. And so, you know, we try not to think too much forward and we try not to look too far back Uh, We try to focus on right now and what we can do to get through right now and make through right now as enjoyable as we can for our family and for our kids. And um, but that grief is is real. I mean, it's and that's why I think that, gosh, I wish every every parent and family that's dealing with any kind of disability or trauma, I wish they could get free therapy and counseling because even my biological children, you know, they're affected by this as well, especially Mm -hmm. being the same age. So they, they have trauma from this. And so it's, it's a whole family affair um, that we have to go through these grieving processes and find ways to get self-care. And we do a lot of one-on-one things or two-on-two things with our four kids because, You know, some of them can handle different things where others can't. And it is, it's a grief every time I take, you know, one child to something that I wish they could all be at, but I know they can't handle it and they know that they're missing out and they feel like they're missing out. And I feel that way too. And so it's just kind of coming to terms with the cards we've been dealt and doing the best we can, but it's, I can't say that we've like nailed the grief. I mean, it's, it's very heavy. Um, especially at this phase since, since COVID hit, hit and we have entered a new realm, I would say the grief has been pretty heavy for the last couple of years. Um, but thank goodness for our God. That is so good to, to keep us going and to, to keep dropping those little miracles and tender mercies into our mat, into our laps. That's really what keeps us going.
1: Mm, Oh, such a good word. And I agree. I think the grief part is a process. It's not um, one and done. It is every day and it kind of can come up differently at different times on different days. And we just have to be aware of it. And, um, I agree with your plan, go to God with your grief. And, um, he helps us definitely navigate that for sure. Um, now I know you mentioned, cause you are, um, a TBRI practitioner and I mentioned also that you and I are both taking the facilitator training with, through facets. So what led you to facets to become uh, a trainer through them? Uh,
0: so, you know, <laughs> I just, you know, we're paying so much money to take all these classes. We were with TBRI, it was the same thing. Like we're taking these trainings and I just thought, you know, I, not only am I passionate about helping my own family, of course, I'm very passionate about spreading the word about this and we've already been doing that in our community. So I just felt like I should have all the information that's there to have when I'm doing these trainings so that I can make sure I'm not missing anything. And I think that like, you know, there are facets facilitators out there that don't have any kids. There are facets facilitators out there that don't have um, neurodiversity in their lives. Many of them do, but there are some that don't. And the very first facets training I went to, um, she did not, she, she did not have anyone in her family. She just, she was in the social work field and she saw this and knew it was a thing. And so she became certified, but I think for people like you and me who have the lived experience, it adds so much more to the training and being a trainer and people I have noticed connect with me more as a trainer um, because I'm vulnerable and I will share the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. I've experienced the hard stuff, whereas no knock on, you know, the facilitator or therapist that doesn't have the lived experience. But I just think when people hear that and they can relate to that, it goes so much further. I mean, Jeff Noble was the first one to say, you know, stories sell and facts tell. And I can tell you as reluctant as I was to open up about my children and our struggles as a family, um, because it's nothing what it looks like on social media. Right. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's hard stuff. Um, But I can tell you as we have prayed about what to share and how to share it, the vulnerability and being able to share what we're comfortable with sharing has opened immense amount of doors, like doors we would have never imagined opening. Um, You know, and I think, I think God, you know, I, I attribute that to God, but it was through God making me feel comfortable sharing our story um, and being vulnerable. And that is hard, and not everybody's meant or called to do that. And that's okay. But so far, we've, we feel okay about what we've shared and how we've shared it. And that may change uh, if the kids get older. But I mean, we've kind of taught them to be their own little advocates as well. And, you know, at, an age-appropriate level, and and that helps them. So right now, we're just going forward with faith, and you know we'll adjust as we need to.
1: So words words of wisdom right there. Um, before we get to the topic of education, because I did want to touch on that, um, I wanted to be sure to ask you about your dogs. You post a lot about them also on your social media, and you know we all know that animals can play a huge part in therapy being very therapeutic for our kids. So tell us what that looks like at your house.
0: Yeah. So we, we ended up with three dogs somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was not really the plan, but we, my husband and I have always been dog people. So we've always had two and then we decided to get, um, you know, one of our sons started asking for his own dog. And I had heard about, you know, individuals having service dogs for FASD. And I thought, Hey, we can afford this. We can make this happen. He's interested in it. Let's jump on it. So we did. And, um, our service dog, he's got, I think like seven more months of training before he's like officially certified, but we're able to take him everywhere because he's in training. Um, and he has helped Max so much. Um, he, But even our little dog that's not trained, like sometimes he'll call for the little dog, Lola. And um, so sometimes he'll call for the little dog first, the big dog second. Um, So it's been really, really nice to have them as a tool Mm -hmm. and a bond. And it's also, you know, as much as they have a hard time making friends or reading social cues, when you have a really cute golden doodle on a leash, like that brings friends around. And so it does help boost his self-esteem. If he's in a meltdown or getting to a meltdown, um, I can bring Lucky out to him and he can burrow into him. Lucky will give him that deep sensory input by laying on him by command um, while he's still young enough. (laughs) I don't know what that will look like as he gets older, but um, it's been a really big blessing and, um, you know, I won't, I don't want to sugarcoat it and say, oh, we just got a service dog and everything's fine because the reality is, is training a service dog is a huge commitment and it does take a lot of time. And so, you know, I would caution anyone that's going to try to do it on their own. Like we have through a trainer locally, um, know that it's a lot of work. Um, there's four paws for ability where you can get a fully trained dog, um, for us, you know, it didn't, our, our children don't travel well. So to go to Ohio for two weeks and learn how to handle the dog was not something that would work for our family, but I know that it has for many others. Um, but yeah, I mean, research shows that, that animals and especially dogs can, can greatly reduce anxiety without even being trained. So I, I highly recommend, you know, if your children are into animals and dogs, um, as long as they're not going to hurt them, you know, it's never a bad thing to to have that pet around to comfort and calm them. I mean, I don't have an FASD and I know that snuggling up to my dog feels really good um, after a long hard day. So um, you know, we are just very pro, pro dogs or any animals that might help.
1: Yeah, we, we did something similar. She's not formally trained as a therapy dog, but um, we got a Woodle back in October last year um, who's just really been a blessing to our whole family, including our son, Slava. Um, but one thing, and this is going to be part of my... Um, have to do my facets accommodations grid tomorrow night when we have our class
0: oh, <laughs> <And we do. laughs>
1: so one one thing and I don't know if you have any advice with this because you do have a child with sensory um if she she's not a big barky dog but if she barks he does not do well
0: yeah uh,
1: yeah so how do you handle that is that is that an issue with any of your kids
0: um you know, Waylon is definitely sensor, um, sensitive to sound, so he doesn't like the barking. Um, we, we do use an e-caller where you can train them, you know, to only bark at certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, there's a lot of people that disagree with that method, but we, you, you don't have to use it forever. You know, you kind of get through the training period And then you can, you can drop the e collar. So we use the e collar for that, where, you know, if they're just barking for no reason or whatever, like we'll give them a little vibration and, you know, it'll stop it. And so that's really helped reduce the barking unless there's an actual like stranger pulling up into the driveway. We want them to bark um, for that reason. And we, we explain that to our kids that like, part of the benefit of having dogs is that it's a security measure and our kids do have anxiety. And so it does help them kind of reframe it as like, I might not like the barking, but sometimes the barking's good because it's warning us about something.
1: Right. Um,
0: but yeah, if it's excessive barking, like we kind of tried to nip that in the butt with that e-collar. And I think we did a pretty good job from the time they were puppies on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ours is not, she's just, she'll, she'll bark at something. So if somebody comes to the house or if it's, you know, the UPS man or, you know, but it's, 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 if she hears a noise, you know, so she's barking at, you know, things that we would want her to bark at, but it just right away escalates him. He just can't handle that. So I won't get into it now, but, but that's going to be what my accommodations grid is about tomorrow night how do I, you know, how do I address this? Because like, she's going to bark and there's always somebody coming to the house. So um, so I'll, I'll, th- I'll
0: think of some ideas and I'll have That's some for tomorrow awesome. too. Thanks.
1: Thanks. <laughs> um, so let's talk about school now. Um, yeah. I know like at my house, COVID had a negative impact on your schooling situation as well. So would you share with us what the education journey has been like um, for your FASD kiddos and what are you anticipating for the coming school year?
0: Yeah, so, you know, it has not been easy. <laughs> um, they, uh, they went to three years of preschool. I started them at two and a half. Um, they did fine in preschool. Um, I did have the preschool take a training on FASD. Um, unfortunately, that was still not enough for the teachers to not kind of shame them or call them a liar or all kinds of different things. Um, So that was unfortunate in their last year of um, preschool, you know, before they were in their last year of preschool when COVID hit and everything shut down. Um, So one of my sons was very grateful because he did not like going to preschool because his teacher was, I mean, she would tell, tell me that she thinks that one of my sons was depressed, that he was a liar. She was saying these things in front of me, my son, other parents, other kids after taking a training on FASD. So I I wasn't super sad for that year to end early. Um, And then, you know, I had just decided I'm going to homeschool them even before um, COVID hit because we had gone through the IEP process and because of one little technicality um, with some proprioception issues that one of my sons had, they were going to put them in the ESE classroom. And at that time they had to have no behaviors at school, no issues at school um, as far as getting in trouble. And I just knew that they were smarter and brighter than what they would get in an ESE classroom education. And so I had decided to homeschool. So I already had a curriculum like ready to go when COVID hit for kindergarten. So I just thought, great, we'll just start now. And it was a disaster. So, you know, it was something I felt like God had we prayed about it before, even before COVID hit that that's what we were going to do. We weren't going to put them in the ESE classroom, especially because, you know, even though our school, our public school was rated a 10, when you look at the special needs program and 30% of them are getting suspended or expelled, that's what you really need to be looking at. You don't need to be looking at the school rating. You need to be looking at our special needs program. And so I was like, knowing my children, they're going to get suspended on purpose because they just would rather stay home. So mm-hmm. like, and they will get suspended, <laughs> Suspended. so we're just not going to go there. We're going to homeschool. And it also has been very volatile and confusing with all the curriculums and agendas going on at the school. So we felt prompted to homeschool and within three weeks of pandemic schooling, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a crash and burn, like, you know, and so we started praying for alternatives and my occupational therapist actually found an umbrella homeschool It was 25 students total, eight kids in the class that they would be in to one teacher. They were willing to accommodate them with what they needed accommodations for. And they had a great kindergarten year. It was amazing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was like a dream school. I just thought we hit the jackpot. We're so blessed. And we were. Um, And then we were planning on, it's, you know, a 30, 40 minute drive from our new house but we were planning on making that drive because they were doing so well in that school. Unfortunately, they lost a teacher. Um, they didn't tell any of the parents that they lost a teacher because they didn't want to tell every, they didn't want it to look like they had a high turnover rate. Um, so their accommodations were lost. Nobody told me that they were not giving them their accommodations that they had agreed to. And so of course we started seeing, you know, escalations and symptoms and behaviors at school. And I still was not told when, you know, my son was isolated from the rest of the classroom. His hands were taped in a box, his feet were taped in a box, and they oh told him. he could not return to the table with his classmates until he learned to keep his hen- hands and feet inside of the tape box um, into his personal space And for kiddos with sensory processing, ADHD, all the things that can come with FASD, I mean, that was the absolute most awful thing they could have done. And nobody even told me about it. I didn't even know he had been having issues. And so I reached out to the teacher that had quit um, because I couldn't get a meeting with the teacher for four weeks. She did not have time to meet with me for four weeks once I found out from my other children that he had been separated. And my other children said it was unfair and mean, and they recognized that it was not right as young children. Yet somehow all of the adults in the school did not recognize that that was not right. Um, When I reached out to the teacher, she told me about a lot of things in the environment that were just not okay for any child, let alone my children with FASD. Um, And I kind of learned that the teacher that we had their kindergarten year was the only elementary certified educator in the school. And I found out that I had been lied to about the licensing. She was not licensed. There were no other certified teachers in the school. I mean, basically she was just a business collecting money. She was, you know, what, what used to be hands-on projects turned into worksheets from public school from 2011 and putting on Tom and Jerry at school and just a really bad environment that I won't get into because I don't want to slander the school in the way that it, you know, I think it it's not going to make it because there's been more that's come out since then. I, I immediately pulled my children in. And we, we already knew that they wouldn't listen to me. So we, we took that money that we were paying for that private umbrella homeschool and hired a part-time teacher to come into the house and help with that homeschool. Um, it worked for a minute, but she was not the right fit. I mean, she had taught for 17 years, um, but When my son wouldn't come inside from like a snack break, she called the police. (laughs) So, I mean, she could see him. He didn't run away. He wasn't hurting himself or anyone. So that was a hard conundrum because she is a good teacher. She just, she was not equipped to handle neurodiversity, even though she did try to take the time to learn about it, which I really appreciated Um, it just was not the right fit, but I was so nervous to cut that cord because it would be another transition for the kids. And I just, I wanted to get through the school year. I don't know if that was the right decision or not, to be honest. Um, things continued to escalate throughout that homeschooling journey. So this year, you know, at the end of the year, we sent, um, our third son who does not have FASD to a public school against all of my mama heart desires, (laughs) but he was asking to go and things were volatile at home. He was triggering and antagonizing the other kids and triggering some of their meltdowns. And so we put him in school for the last three and a half weeks. Um, It did help reduce some of the like episodes we were having at home because he wasn't here to antagonize. But then he would come home from school and it would be full fledged. Like, you know, he thought he was cooler because he was going to school. He was hanging out with older kids. So he brought home some attitudes and things that, you know, we're still kind of trying to recover from. So I'm really going into this next year with hope and faith and praying that it works, but knowing that it probably won't. Um, (laughs) so we found an emotional behavioral development school for the twins that are on the spectrum. They do have other children with an FASD in their school right now. So that gives me hope that at least this won't be totally foreign to them. Like it has been with every other educator we've encountered, but they're already saying they don't want to go. They're protesting. Like they don't want to go um, making threats about what they're going to do if we make them go. Um, and then my other two children, there's a new charter school opening up, um, that we're going to give a try, but I have a very strong feeling. We will be back homeschooling <laughs> as much as like my sanity. And as much as it didn't work last year, I think, you know, we'll just structure it differently and try, cause there were days where when it did work, it worked Beautifully and wonderfully. And it's just, you know, with FASD, you never know what you're going to get. So we know that routine is good. We know that structure is good. But if they didn't sleep all night, it's really hard to start school at 9 a.m. if they're, you know, they went to bed at 6 a.m. for the night. So that's kind of, um, you know, we'll see. But we're going into this with a hope and a prayer that this will be something that helps, but I kind of need that for my respite because it has been a very traumatic year. So I'm hoping for everyone's sake it works out. Um and I do think that all of my kids model other other behaviors and they try to hold it together when they're in public and around peers and at home there there's just no need for that for them. They're in their safe space. So I'm I'm hopeful that we can return to school. this fall, but I have my doubts with where we're at right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. And again, every age and stage is different. And I've been all over kind of like you have too. And, and, uh, right now with, with our youngest, who is the only one I'm homeschooling, which, um, there was a time I was homeschooling like seven kids at one time, you know, and this is much easier. Cause now I have one. Yeah. Um, and we do follow a routine as far as, um, the order of what we do for school. So I've made that very routine, but we kind of start each morning when um, kind of like when he gets up. So sometimes it's earlier, sometimes it's a little bit later, it depends on how much sleep he'd gotten the night before. Or if I have a meeting in the morning, like every Monday morning, I have a staff Zoom call at 8 a.m. So when that's over, then we start. So yeah. but whatever time we start, we always start in the same, and we do the same thing every day. Yeah. So he knows the routine, so whether we started at eight or nine or ten, um, he knows the routine, and, and that's been helpful. But he's sixteen, so you know, yeah, you know, it, it's a little bit different. But yeah, and, and it's really just trying everything until you find something that works and it might work for a little bit of time and then it's not going to work. And you've got to find the next thing. Exactly. So it's, you know, it is what it is, but I love, because I see in your social media, all that you're doing with the animals and with outside. And that's such a wonderful environment for homeschooling, especially. Yeah. Um, you know and that's,
0: that's kind of why we created the property because the way we did is because that was our plan. And I do feel like hopefully there will be a time we can return to that model and plan that we, that we hoped for. Um, because yeah, there's just a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. And like you said, what works, you know, it might not work right now, but it might next year. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And when we were, we were homeschooling and then it got to the point where my youngest two were the only kids home because everybody else had graduated and moved on um, and they they needed one-on-one. Yes. And, you know, they couldn't do one-on-one with both of them in the same room because if one would breathe, the other one couldn't handle it and it became oh, like yes. <laughs> chaos. So that was that was a thing. And then, you know, running to therapies all the time, I just, there was no time to get school done during the day. So we ended up prayerfully felt led to put them in public school. Our school district did have a very good special education program. There's my barking dog. I don't know if you can hear her because somebody has arrived. Um, But that was going very, very well until COVID for one of them. Um, And then for the other, um, it was a combination of just being a teenager with FASD, sorry but um but i'll just finish my thought on you know so then our our oldest who was a senior and and our regular listeners you know know the story of just you know that dismaturity and um you know you wouldn't send an an 8 or 9 year old to a vocational program with older you know other 18 year old kids who do have behavioral problems. And it was just, it, it was looking back. It was like, okay, we should have anticipated this and realized this was not a good idea. He finished, um, school, but we did pull him out of that vocational program because it wasn't worth the risks with the things he was being exposed to. So, um, you know, just every, you just have to be on top of it and alert all the time and be prepared to make those changes and transitions as our kids need them. And it's, like your story is there's a lot of like this, 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 and this, (laughs) that's what it's like and very normal. So, um, you know, I used to have this mindset, like if we start with one thing, we have to finish, right. Because that's what we would do with, um, our biological kids. That's the mindset, right. But that's not necessarily what's best for our kids. So, um, you know, just always keeping that in mind. So, um, thank you for really, really digging into that part of your story, because I know a lot of our listeners are on similar journeys and just trying to figure it out. Um, So it's wonderful to hear from other families who are, are kind of navigating that too, because it's, it's crazy.
0: Um, Uh, One thing that's happening, at least here in Florida, I'm noticing it happening. I don't know how it is in, around the country, but you know, between the curriculums, between the school shootings, um, Teachers are leaving in drones. I mean, it was not hard for me to find a teacher um, to take the job. I had 70 applications within 24 hours of posting it. But what I'm noticing that people are doing for this fall is teachers have left the school and they're charging, you know, however much they're going to charge per student. And they're taking on five to six students in their home and doing cottage schools. Um, So that's something I'm looking I'm going to look into, you know, to see if there's a right fit or even creating one ourselves um, where we can bring some other kids in where it's not just my kids. Mm -hmm. Because I think that was one of our issues last year. It was just siblings and nobody else. And so my children do better when they have peers around, um, even in our own home. So, I mean, that's another option that I think might be worth exploring is finding a small group you know, that understands the challenges we're facing, Um, but that it's also not just brothers and sisters at school together. Um, You know, with COVID, it is really hard. It was really hard to go out to do co-ops and normal activities. So it wasn't like the best time to dive into how homeschooling. So I know that it can be a lot better in the future without all those restrictions in place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Like we mentioned, every kid is different, every season, every stage. Um, We need to focus on the needs of each of our individual kids and make informed decisions and, um, you know, on their educational plan and be prepared to pivot, right? There's always, that's always going to happen. If it's not working, don't just force them to stay in that. Um, I know, I know with our FANB kids, chronic poor fit leads to secondary symptoms. We don't want to continue to force them into a poor fit because it just is going to exacerbate the situation, especially down the road. So, um, Lindsay, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about the FASD clinic in Orlando. I'm super excited about what you guys are doing down there. So can you tell us what it is and how it came about?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we went down, we're lucky to have a clinic in the state of Florida at all. Cause a lot of States don't have a clinic. Um, so the Florida centers down in Sarasota, cue my dogs, <laughs> um, someone must be pulling up. Um, so we, you know, we went down there, but we had to take a week off work. We had to rent an Airbnb. We had to take childcare with us for our other two kids and so while it was so great to have that experience and have that multidisciplinary team evaluate, you know, it was a two day evaluation for each boy. So it was four total days. Um, it was really hard on our family to go down there and go through that um, because it did, my kids were all slept 12 hours a night until we went to Sarasota to get that clinic, that, that diagnosis. And I, you know, I'm sure something else would have triggered it at some point, but that was the trigger. They, they realized because we weren't in our regular house, we were in a room with bunk beds in a smaller setting and, Oh, mom and dad don't go to bed at 7 30 PM either. Like we can stay up. <laughs> like. And then ever since then it's been like, just sleep has not happened. Um, and we just, it costs a lot of money to rent an Airbnb and take a week off work. So, we were just like, we need something closer. Like Florida is a huge state. Mm-hmm. Um, we need something central. Like it doesn't make sense to us that this is, there's not something central. We need, I mean, we need them everywhere. We need them on every block, right. but I mean, it, it should just be in every pediatrician's wheelhouse really, but it's not. So we just started talking to anybody, everybody um, because of my husband's um, business that we own. Um, We have done a lot of work with Orange County, which um, the school district in Orange County, Florida, is the eighth or ninth largest school district in the county. And so we were able to just ask her if we could come and talk to her. We had a private meeting with her. Next thing we know, we were doing all these presentations for Orange County public schools. There were other people there in attendance that were, you know, wait, we want to hear more about this too, which led to more trainings. Um, and then one of our, um, my in-laws friends from church kind of started hearing about it from my mother-in-law and she is a big, just philanthropist and donor to, um, the Orlando health, um, system down here. And she said, I want to put you in touch with Dr. Samir Baba, who is a neurosurgeon and he is over the neuroscience, wing um, at the children's hospital and cannot sing him enough praises. I mean, we, it was, you know, Spencer and I said, when we first learned about FASD and we went to the Florida center, we said in 10 years, we want to have a clinic in Orlando. Um, that was our goal because we wanted to, you know, there was nine month wait lists. There's all the barriers of traveling and all of that. So, um, over the last four and a half years, we continued to meet with Dr. Baba. his wife. Um, they listened to us. They had dinner with us. They honestly, I was like a little bit skeptical. Like, I'm so tired. Like, what's the point of this? Like, is he really going to do anything about this? Like, but he did, he did. He's like, he admitted I am a neurosurgeon. He's one of 12 surgeons in the world that can operate on a brain inside of the womb. There's 12 of them in the world. Wow. He is so smart. He is so humble. He is so kind. And I worked for a surgeon for 10 years and I've worked for, um, many other doctors. I worked in the medical field for a long time. So not all doctors are like that. And sometimes they're very egotistical or, you know, they know better And, and most of the time they do, but in this, in this case, they don't. And so it was really awesome that he admitted like, this is real. He went, he studied it. We need to do something about it. Let's, let's try to get a clinic, um, which was like music to our ears. Um, it felt like, wow, what is happening? And then we connected them with the Florida center to kind of, you know, further talk through, what that might look like. And the Florida center is not a hospital. Um, So proof Alliance was also a big help in that because they do work with the, the the hospitals and university of Minnesota. Um, So they were also very helpful in getting Orlando health to buy in. Um, You know, my husband and I went and fought for funding um, for this pilot clinic along with the Florida center. And because of, again, my husband's business and those political connections that, just have naturally been there. Um, we've been very fortunate, unfortunately, and fortunately, um, first it's who, you know, and then it's what, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, my parents always told me that growing up, I grew up, um, very differently, um, than my husband and they always used to say that to me. And I, I can say, unfortunately, that's the truth. You have to know people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't always have to know people, but You get a lot further, a lot faster if you know people and you also know your staff. So, um, you know, Governor DeSantis just re-signed the funding for the Orlando Clinic to go for another year. So we are very excited about that. And then we're also trying to help um, the Florida Center get a clinic up in Tallahassee. That's their next, you know, they want to have a clinic up north as well because, There's just not enough. Um, And then along with that funding comes the training of professionals and um, other people in the community, Um, the law firm, um, Spencer's firm. We offer a scholarship for anyone on the FASC spectrum or anyone going into a profession that's going to be dealing with this population. Um, So we offer that every year and we're really kind of changing Kind of some of the services the law firm offers, just you know, knowing what we know now, um, there's CPS issues where false claims are made. Um, you know, there's guardianship. You know, estate planning. What's going to happen when we're gone? You know, like we. So we're really kind of shifting. My husband's really shifting his career, um, and I think that's been hard and grieving for him as well because he was very, he is very successful at the type of law he practices. But in order for him to be home more and give our family his time and his energy that that they need, he's he's pivoting. But he also wants to. We want to be able to help families that are going through this. Um, so we're holding a, a law conference with all of the criminal defense attorneys and the judges, the juvenile justice judges um, in the first quarter of 2023. Um, So, you know, we're just kind of like throwing every noodle at the wall and whatever sticks we're we're taking it. And it's been amazing how God has connected all these dots and people that, that are helping that are making a difference. I mean, UCF, Orlando health, Advent health, Nemours, um, Orange County, it has been just God's hand is in this. And that has been so encouraging because I'm exhausted and I've even prayed to God, like, can I just like do this later when like my family's feels a little more settled down and, um, you know, can I pick up the advocacy later? Like, I feel like I'm drowning even though it is therapeutic, but then like, you know, we just spoke at the yearly drug task Coalition Force conference last or a couple weeks ago. And it was, they dedicated it all to FASD based on one of the trainings they had come to from the school board. And so that was pretty incredible to have a whole drug task force focused all on FASD. It was from nine to three. Um, the Florida Center presented, Spencer and I presented, and Lucas Boyce, if if you haven't read his book, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a, an amazing individual on FAS who has accomplished great things. So um, from that conference, we just got a swarm of new new trainings that that people want to have. And then we were invited back to speak in October to a panel of pediatricians about this. Mm. So, you know, it's amazing to see, like, you can't really turn those opportunities down when right. they come because, you know, if we don't do it, who's going to do it that has the lived experience that has the resources that we have, the connections that we have, So that's kind of my advice to anyone who's wanting to advocate, just talk to anyone and everyone, because you never know who does have a connection um, that could connect you to someone and get you in the door. Um, And that's what we've seen God do is just open these doors for us and connect all these dots and people and advocates around Florida, as well as around the country and around the world, even.
1: Yeah, and I was going to say that when you were talking about, you know, it's all in who you know, but, you know, we know God and he's the great connector and he connects us with people he wants us to be connected to so that we can be doing what he's called us to do, um, you know, what he's ultimately going to accomplish. So, um, you know, it could be looked at in a negative way, but I always look at it, you know, as you know, if God's going to connect me, I'll talk to whoever he's sending me to (laughs)
0: to talk. I'm not going to deny those connections or communities as, as tired as we are. Like they have greatly benefited us, you know, as a family too. I mean, when you get to know people just like getting to know you, like you've got lived experience and hearing your perspectives and what works for you. Like it was through another mom with a child with FASD who even told me about the emotional behavior development school. I have never heard of one until like a couple months ago. And then sure enough, I Google them and they're all over the place and we go tour one and we find one and hopefully it works. But I think that's the benefit of connecting to this community um, and to anyone that you can.
1: Yeah, we all learn from each other for certain. Um, So you are such an inspiration, Lindsay. Um, And before we wrap up today, I just want to give you an opportunity to share what's on your heart. What advice would you give um, fellow adoptive and foster parents who are on this journey also?
0: I think my biggest advice is, um, you know, if you're entering the adoption and process and foster process, I would learn as much as you can about trauma and FASD no matter what, I think it should be required. Um, It's not in all cases. Um, If you're already on this journey, my advice is the same. (laughs) Learn as much as you can about this, um, but also give yourself grace. Um, This is um, a different kind of parenting than probably any of us anticipated. And I know that my social worker did not do a good job of um, kind of doing that, it was more like a sales pitch, if I'm being honest. And I know foster care is a different ball game. Um, but if you, I I would just say this is kind of like a battleground. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have the energy or resources or you have other children in the home, my advice is to really dig deep to see if it's the right fit. Um, I would not change a thing because, you know, we had, confirmation from God long before, long before we went through this process that this was our journey. Um, but you know, it's not for everyone and not everyone can handle it. And even those who, who go into it, knowing it's, you know, reading about it and learning about it is very different from living it. And I can tell you as much as I know, as much as I train and educate others, my day-to-day life is full of, worry and trauma and grief um but also joy as well i mean it's like it's the just a complete roller coaster just just be ready to be on a roller coaster for the rest of your life and it's it's not one you can just get off when you're tired <laughs> um and there'll be some really fun times and some thrilling times and there'll be some scary times and the times that make your stomach drop um and don't you know my advice is to not to not wait to reach out for help and support Um, because I think a lot of us feel like, Oh, like I thought I was going to be a better parent than this. At least I thought that like, you know, I got married older. I was wanted nothing more than to be a mom and a wife. And I could never have imagined it being this hard. So it was a little bit of a blow to my self esteem and my psyche of like, I don't got this, like I need help. And so just, find the help wherever you can find it, find your people, find your support group. And unfortunately for a lot of us, it's not our best friends and it's not even our family members at times. And so I think that, um, it took me a long time to realize that and grieve that. Um, so I would say find your support group. I mean, there are people that do have very supportive family and friends who get it, but that has not been, um, something that we have always encountered. Um, although it's, you know, it gets better with time, the more you educate people, but um, find your tribe. And, you know, most of my tribe is virtual. I actually have Aubrey Page um, staying with us this weekend and, or this week. And um, gosh, I'd never met her in real life. And I just remember giving, when she pulled into the driveway and we just hugged and that hug that we gave each other in the driveway, like even though we have very different lives, very different children, very different circumstances, very different ages, we get it. She gets it. I get it. And that was a powerful moment for me to just be like, I'm getting a hug from someone who knows mm. how hard this is. Yeah, And that is powerful. And even just, you know, connecting with you um, and talking with you, it's powerful because you feel less alone and it is a very isolating journey. You don't have time to go to play dates. If you're going to therapies, you don't get invited a lot of the times if your kids are aggressive or socially awkward or whatever it is. So um, it can be very isolating. So my biggest piece of advice is reach out for help and support wherever you find it. And there's no wrong or right way to find that support. Um, Just find it. That's my biggest advice. Um, and you know, if you do have faith, um, that's, that trumps everything, like lean into God for that, for Mm -hmm. that support and that hope, because with, for, for me and my husband, that is what keeps us going at the end of every day when we get done at night, um, we're not really done because the kids are still awake, but when we take that time to do our scripture study um, and say our prayers or talk about things like it all comes back to the atonement of Jesus Christ and that he understands what he's in the trenches with us. He is here with us. And I have felt that I have seen it. Maybe not in the moments, but you know, while you're going through the trauma and the chaos, but he, he is here with us and, Um, I know I could not do this without him. So, you know, that that's my biggest helper and supporter is my savior.
1: I love that, Lindsay. And you're such an inspiration to me. And I know our listeners are also going to be inspired as well. And I'm just so grateful for all that you're doing for your kiddos, but also um, the amazing work that you're doing there with the clinic in Orlando and getting that off the ground and just all of your advocacy. Um, thank you for all that you're doing and thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Oh, thank you for all that you do for the community. And it's been such an honor. I'm really honored to be a part of, of your podcast. Cause I know that you reach so many and, um, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: Thank you. Wow. That was such a wonderful con- uh, conversation. I'm sure um, that you just loved uh, hearing Lindsay's perspective as well. Uh, I'll make sure that any links that we mentioned or any anything that we mentioned that there'd be links to that you'd want to look up further, um, we will make sure that those are in the show notes as well. And thank you for listening to this episode of the adoption and foster care journey. I hope you found some encouragement through Lindsay's story. Uh, Be sure to check out the show notes. Like I mentioned, Um, I'm not even sure we talked about so much for so long. I'll just, I'll go back and listen and make sure everything's in there um, for you so you can check out stuff um, super easy that way. And as for the announcements I wanted to share Um, We are offering the FASD 101 training. Um, I can do that training online or in person. It is a 90 minute training about FASD for parents and professionals. You can learn a little bit more about what it is Um, and accommodations and just all the different things um, that have to do with FASD. Um, So whether you have a a kiddo diagnosed or not diagnosed, or you're suspecting it, maybe you're just um, a foster parent, an adoptive parent, and you want to learn more about that, um, an educator or um, any professional, um, it's a great introduction to FASD. And it's taught by yours truly. So, if you are interested in learning more uh, or <clears throat> registering for a course, uh, you can go to our website at justicefororphansny.org and our JFO website. <clears throat> I think I'm catching Lindsay's uh, allergy thing there. My my throat just my voice just got all foggy. I'm going to leave it in. I'm just going to keep recording. Um, Our website is brand new. So if you have never been to the Justice for Orphans website, if you haven't checked it out, or if you haven't visited in a while, please be sure to go there. Kathy Seawalk, JFO's assistant director, is also a graphic designer by trade, and she did a fabulous job updating our website. It really now reflects more of uh, who we are and what we do. So I would be thrilled if you would go check it out at justicefororphansny.org. Um, and I still have some exciting news, something brewing for September. Uh, that you will want to be a part of. It's a collaboration with another FASD adoptive mama. I know Lindsay mentioned how a lot of her support is really found online with other um, FASD adoptive moms and parents, Um, and we're creating one of those communities um, uh, with a virtual support group. Uh, And exactly when and what and how uh, will be coming very soon. Um, But for now, just stay tuned to this podcast, to our JFO website and to my social media so that you won't miss out when we uh, formally um, release that support group and launch it. So uh, if you enjoyed the show, again, be sure to let us know by subscribing um, and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen to and be encouraged and equipped. You can check out my family's kinship and Ukrainian adoption story in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It is available wherever you buy books. If you order on Amazon, I would be thrilled if after you read it, you go back into Amazon and leave a review. And if you'd like a signed copy, uh, which includes a special gift bookmark, I sign the book and mail it to you myself. You can order a signed copy from my personal website, SandraFlack.com. There you can learn more about me, read my blog, uh, and contact me for speaking and training opportunities as well. Uh, And I'd also like to give a big shout out because as a nonprofit, we can only do what we do with support. And um, we've got some businesses that really care about kids who are um, big supporters of Justice for Orphans Care Portal Ministry. There are Care Portal County sponsors. Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, and National Bank of Koksaki. These businesses care about children and families in crisis and help us to do what we do. Be sure to fo- find and follow Justice for Orphans on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also find me, Sandra Flack, on Facebook and Instagram as well. I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. It was a long time if you stayed with us through to the end. So I am thankful for that. And I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and
1: Instagram at Justice for Orphans and check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.